This week, with a touch of Thanksgiving, we try to read the fig leaves to uncover what the Republicans' underwhelming performance during the midterms might portend for our future. With a quick reference to the Donald's bid for 2024, we then shift to a more philosophical analysis of election security, while initiating a discussion on another new bill filed for the upcoming session in the Tennessee legislature. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and with my good friend Gary Humble, this is the Freedom Matters Podcast. All right, so uh, happy Thanksgiving, Gary. Yeah, almost. Happy Thanksgiving to you. It's pretty great. <laughs> Over the river and through Love the woods it. to grandmother's house we go. Yeah. The horse knows the way. Which is, which is where we're going. <laughs> takes me back to elementary school. Let's finish the verse. It stings the toes and bites the nose as over the ground we go. That's awesome. So, and I will literally be going over the rivers and through the trees and woods and all that to Louisiana. So, um, To your grandmother's? My mother's. So, okay. my, yeah. so to your my, children. My, well, your children can sing that song in My earnest. grandmother lives in an in-law suite behind. So technically, yes, I am going to my grandmother's. <clears throat> I always like on um, Charlie Brown Thanksgiving where Charlie Brown stops them and says, wait a second, there's one problem. My par- or my grandparents live in a condominium. <laughs> Typical Charlie Brown fashion. We will be staying at home and having... On Thanksgiving Day, I think 14 and then, or 17, and then the day after, eight, sorry, 14, then 18, something like that. Can't wait. I'll be in South Louisiana, so this is the good stuff, man. My father-in-law. A Cajun Thanksgiving. A Cajun deep-fried turkey. He nails it every time. Some. Uh, cro- Are the fixings the same, though, other, oh. other than the fact that you've got a, a New Orleans Cajun turkey? Do you yeah. still have green beans? Do you have we have we have all that stuff? But, but like the cornbread dressing, we do a we do it with some crawfish. Yeah, so it's a little spicy. Yeah, a little twist, a little spicy, spicy and meaty. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> some Kevin's that sound out some meaty cornbread. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> I do like cornbread with corn in it. <clears throat> yeah. Coming from the north, we never did that in um, Pennsylvania, but I like how they do that. You know, they, it makes it a little bit more moist. It has the kernels of corn in it if it's mm-hmm. done right and um so i do admit to have become somewhat southern over the last three decades that All we've right. lived here there you go it's good so um so much to talk about well there is a lot so i'm excited to see where you're going to take this because there's, there's a variety of avenues we can go down well so <clears throat> before one of the things i i thought driving in today that i wanted to address and i probably won't lead with it because we need to give it context I want to have a philosophical discussion about election security because I think there's no doubt, and especially among our listeners, there's no doubt that we have election security issues all throughout the country, <clears throat> perhaps not everywhere, um, and they're minimized in certain states, for example, Florida, right? Yep. It's minimized where people take it seriously, but I'd, I would like to come back to that because I'm kind of interested, Gary, in what <clears throat> you might want to start with today, and then we can circle back around and have a a. Um, it's because I want to, I want our listeners to get warmed up, right? Let's not hit them with philosophy right yeah. at the beginning. Well, no, that, that's an important conversation to have too, especially on the heels of uh, you know the big big announcement you know from President Trump, which uh, you know I, I was sort of I, there was so much speculation as to what his announcement was going to be about. 
And the lowest hanging fruit, of course, uh, the the best guess was that he was going to announce his candidacy, which he did. But there were a, there were a few folks, and I was sort of one of them wondering, man, is it, is he about to announce the launching of a new party? Like, boy, that would that would rock the landscape, mm. you know, and, and among, amongst a few other things. But um, the next two years are going to be so interesting. And uh, I've got to tell you, I'm one of those folks that's already a little put off uh, with the back and forth between he and DeSantis. Yep. And um, I, ha- I have a lot of concerns going into 2024. Uh, so one of the things that, you know, I wrote, wrote a little short commentary in our email that we sent out last week that when you look at the elections and what happened and then you look to 2024, everybody's looking for a savior, mm-hmm. right? They're they're consistently looking to the federal government to always fix our problems. And we hearkened to yeah. this a little bit last time. We talked about the disparity between the amount of folks that turn out in a presidential year for an election, which is roughly, you know, which was 70 percent last yep. time, yep. you know, compared to the less than 40 percent that show up in state elections. And um, it just gives me a, a, a great deal of concern that Tennesseans, and it's not just Tennesseans, it's across the, the United States, that people do not see where the real ability to hold the line of liberty lies within the states, and mm-hmm. we continue to prop up this idea that some new person in the White House is right. going to fix all of our woes. Yep. I think it's... Well, I don't want to cut you off because I'll, I'll I'll tend to jump right into the philosophical too soon. I still want to wait for that. But one point I would make is absolutely that is a symptom, if you can call it a symptom, a characteristic of our God design, right? God has created us to worship Him, and we always want to place that onto mm. something other than God. And in the political sphere, it's mm. the deemed most important political figure. So everybody not only wants a political savior, but they look for that political salvation to be in the president. I've never thought about it that way, but but that's interesting. And uh, and unfortunately, though, in our system of government, by defaulting to looking to that one person, we discount that our government was set up as such that we are the government. Mm-hmm. We self-govern, and we do that primarily through the states. And so— I you know and and I and I've got yeah I want to get into something real quick before we get into that philosophical discussion. Yep. But my my concern too with twenty twenty four, in terms of uh, President Trump running and whether or not I, I I still believe there's a good chance that <clears throat> some say no way Ron DeSantis will primary Trump. I, I I disagree. I think there's a decent chance that he will primary the president, which will I think descend the Republican Party into absolute division. And uh, tearing each other apart all the while. And it's funny this came out right before we sat down. Mm -hmm. Because I wrote this. I've been seeing this. This probably won't be a shock to you, but I saw an article come out today even. Who do you think the Democrats are going to run for president? Gavin Newsom. So I've heard that name and I've said that name. And they might. that, that He will, I think, be a contender. But I tell you, who who do you think the nominee will be? Gavin Newsom. Wow, I'm just sticking to it. I'm, okay, I'm, I, I, so in so in a, you a year from right. now, you can tell me whether I'm right or wrong. However, what do you think, or what have you? Read? I I think it will be Michelle Obama. Oh <clears throat> well, I've had concerns about Michelle Obama prior to this campaign. Like I thought last cycle. In fact, when Trump won in 2016, 
I told a friend of mine at the Heritage Foundation that I thought that was opening the door immediately to a challenge by Michelle Obama. Michelle Obama is certainly more, how do I say this? So you know how Brandon, President Brandon, is very much a puppet to the Obama regime and all the Obama loyalists. I think that certainly Michelle Obama would be more puppet-like for the Obama loyalists than Gavin Newsom would. Not because Gavin Newsom doesn't share their ideas, but because Gavin Newsom still is within a certain framework, his own man. So he might say, no, I want to do this. Whereas Michelle Obama would be able to carry their water. I guess my fear in all of this is that Republicans so discount the ability for Democrats to win in 2024 that we put all these efforts into electing a president and and continue to shirk Mm -hmm. our duties of securing our liberties here at home, which will most certainly happen in my opinion. But I will just say for the record, and I'm— of course, I'm going to vote Republican for whoever that – and of course, I pray to God that we do not have a Democrat in the White House in 2024. However, I think it's silly for folks to believe that Trump's a shoe in And, you know, I think we should launch into the midterms, and, and, mm-hmm. and I, I think if what I've got here, I, we can talk about it then if we have time. But it would be a huge mistake because – uh, for one, you look, you look at the midterms. Well, I want to ask you a question, Kevin. Okay. All right. I get to be the quizzee <laughs> this time instead of the quizzer. Except, except I don't have a uh, a, a data point to, to to get. But I think you may your you data may get, points in your brain. That's Gary. right. It's in my brain. So, what do you <clears throat> think? Okay. Let me preface this. Set machines and election fraud aside for oh. a moment. I know it's difficult to do. I get it. Believe me. You're taking my entire metaphysic out I of the know, question. I know. I understand. But just set that aside and just think about voters turning out of the polls. Okay. Why would you imagine that, again, outside of fraud and cheating, mm-hmm. what was the issue that drove young Democrats to the polls to such a high degree that they won the day despite inflation. I mean, just everything we're going, the cost of food, illegal immigration, all the things we're facing right now. What drove them? Well, again, I have to say, in case anybody cuts this up as people do with media, right? This is within the context of no voter fraud and, right. and full of voter course. security, That's right. which is not the case. It's not the case. Two things. One, and both of them are moral issues, right? The fear of quote unquote Losing our democracy, which is a big picture issue for a lot of sub-issues, and the fear – this is so hard for me to say almost with a straight face – the fear of losing the right to kill their children. 100%. Yeah, abortion. Yeah, that's it. And how that's been mischaracterized, because if you think of the states that still allow it in the sanctuary states, it was all in the messaging telling people that – and always focusing on this, right? Even in the case of rape and incest, you're not going to be able to kill your child, right? That's, yeah, um, yeah it's, it, the, I think the evidence is clear that with the voting young population or the voting left, that that issue, and what I don't like about it, Gary, is that the rhinos, the Republican establishment said, see, aha, we shouldn't have made abortion. We shouldn't be arguing mm. the moral issues, right? Mm. So they... They capitulate to that. Yeah. 
And that's not the the, the motivation. The no, for sure. Yes, yeah, that's not where I'm heading with this. But my my point in bringing this up is, I just want to make sure that conservatives do not go into 2024 thinking that inflation and the stuff going on with Ukraine and Russia and the border and all these things are, you know, gas costs and food, everything's so bad that finally, you know, mm. young people and Democrats and the left is going to see the light. I want to make sure you understand. They will not see the light. Yep. They want to kill their children. Yep. Okay. This, this singular issue is driving the left to the polls in mm-hmm. droves. Voter turnout is huge amongst Democrats in the midterms. And in 2024, you can bet your bottom dollar, nobody's staying home on this. Which raises an interesting question. If those numbers that went to the polls were more engaged because of fear of losing the right to kill their children, I say right, in quotes, does that suggest that the amount of people who have had abortions and feel guilty about it or who want to have abortions, or who regularly participate in that, are more than we perhaps imagined. Well, the last statistic I heard is one in four women have have had have had an abortion. That's an incredible amount. Yeah, that's a hot twenty five percent. Yeah, they want you to believe that you're just like everybody else, or or if you yeah. don't believe in abortion, or you you don't know how many people are having it. Yeah. And of course, that, that probably doesn't even count because, you know, we had Dr. Hamada, Omar Hamada here on the show. You know, these people who put these statistics together also, the rate would be even higher if you add in Plan B. Mm-hmm. These people do not consider Plan right, B an abortion. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so my, 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 again, my point is conservatives don't look to 2024 and just think, Trump's running awesome. We've got things are so bad. We've got this in the bag. I just want to make sure you heard it here. I'm telling you, we do not. And we have to engage locally. We're going to have to turn out the vote in 2024. But I'm I'm just I'm not being a pessimist here. I'm just telling you. So this is where we're going to get in with yeah. with election fraud and all the, just all the things we're dealing with. I I personally am not looking for salvation in 2024 mm-hmm. in the yeah. federal government. I'm just I'm just not. Yeah, we can't. I don't, I don't think it's realistic and I think and that's not meant to be we don't want to discourage our audience. We don't want to be a not. downer. We want to tell the truth. And, I, I just want us to have the right priorities. Yeah. And the right perspective, right? Let's talk about something else short of election fraud before we go there and that is also the demographics of the states are changing because of these policies. So where, not that we were ever going to win California, right? It's been since Ronald Reagan, I think, since a president Mm. has won the electoral college vote in California. But because of states like New York and California, uh, Oregon, the state of Washington, right? The whole left coast, Illinois, all of the conservatives who would have made those states perhaps competitive have now left and gone to other red states. That means... It's that much more difficult and going to be that much more. Florida's not going to be an issue, right? Not in the 2024. Ohio's not going to be an issue. Tennessee's not going to be an issue. But any of the formerly purple states, Indiana mm-hmm. is is a threat to lose that. So now instead of calculating, well, we've got to win, you know, what, like 70% of the states because the big states with the most electoral college votes are always going to be on the left. 
that calculus alone, assuming all the elections were free and fair, that alone is going to make it more difficult for whomever the Republican nominee is in 2024. So yeah, I think it's becoming, I think the window of opportunity, well, I'm going to say it. I do not think short of changes to election security, I do not think we will ever have a Republican president of the United States again. <laughs> that is a huge statement. Yep. So you you think I don't in think the it's current possi- state of elections right. we're done. It's not I, possible. Yeah, I don't think it's possible. Globalists have taken over. Yeah, there's they control too many levers of power affecting the elections. They don't have to control 50 states worth. We saw that That's in true. 2020. They don't have to control— They only have to control a very a certain number right. of states. Yeah. But in those states, they do control they it. They swing and it. Yeah, and they're very um, deliberate about it. And um, and we saw that in Arizona over the past week with Kerry Lake. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no question that there's, there's voter fraud, which we're going to get into in a minute. But so I don't—I would hate to see— our side become enthusiastic. And when I hear people talking about it, to me, it's Charlie Brown and Lucy in the football again. Oh yeah. Well, this time Trump's going to win. What makes you think that the hatred for Trump is going to make him win this time? Oh, inflation, Kevin. (laughs) My my hamburgers are too expensive. I've, I've changed my mind completely. Remember, we have to remind our audience, remember in 2020, Joe Biden was drawing 25 people to his occasional escapes from his basement, whereas Trump had 70,000 people here and 50,000 there. There was no question that Donald Trump had the population behind him. But when you don't control, what's that John Mayer song? Man, that's good. Right? When you own the information, you can mend it all you want. That is what happened to Donald Trump in 2020. Why do we think that isn't going to happen to him again? Has there been some change in who governs the election machines? Is there going to be a change in who? Thank you, Mr. Producer, by the way. (laughs) That's good. Um, Very good button push there. Somebody give me an argument as to why the structure, forget the issues, why the structure would ever be different in 2024 to suggest that a Republican of any sort, Ron DeSantis, the same thing. That's why, as, as much as I love Ron DeSantis, I would hate to see him leave the governorship of Florida. I mean, perhaps he would still keep it and run and then go back. He can't win either, not because I believe he carries a better message or the same message more effectively than Donald Trump at this point in their political careers, but he can't win either for the same reasons. They're going to hate him and just place their hatred of Trump or, or project it onto DeSantis as well. So as extreme as it is, I I have to admit, though, I can't disagree with the point that you're making. And it's because, like for those of us here in Tennessee who are passionately working on election integrity, the fact of the matter is, again, that everyone needs to understand we cannot – constitutionally, the states control their election processes, and I think it's appropriate. I would – you know, we do not need to federalize elections. That is not where we need to go. Yeah. And that's where some people want to go. They're like, well, we need, we, need the, we need Congress to pass laws. No, we do not. We do not want to federalize our elections in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. 
But we do have to acknowledge that there are states, no matter how much election integrity we have here in Tennessee, there are other states that we cannot control that are going to continue to Mm -hmm. cheat. For example, Arizona, which we had – understand, I'm looking at the uh, Mark Fincham race here. Mm -hmm. I mean, who's a friend? Mark Fincham, state representative running for secretary of state – is one of, I may not say the most, but certainly one of the most well-known, smartest, like hardcore activist that is an elected official that is advocating for paper ballots and mm-hmm. strong, secure election integrity across yep. the country. And we had every expectation that after everything we've been through, he <laughs> was going to win his bid for secretary of state mm-hmm. in Arizona. And that through that, we would see a national wave of change, right? Yep. And we, in air quotes, yep. we he lost that race, right? To see that in Arizona, even Mark Fincham could not win his bid, I, I think it was a blow to election integrity efforts across the country. Absolutely. And I think it furthers the message that we had better prepare ourselves in the states because— California, New York, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, New Jersey, wherever else. They're Arizona going, now. Arizona sure. now, mm-hmm. who's yeah, Democratic governor and secretary of mm-hmm. state. They are going to continue to cheat en masse. That is going to sway federal elections. There is nothing we're going to be able to do about it. And even in 2020, the Supreme Court opined that whenever, what, 16 or 17 states joined Texas in a lawsuit, the states had no standing to challenge federal elections. Why? Because the elections were certified by Mm -hmm. the states. And that's where the power lies. So, Kevin, are we screwed? Well, the answer is no. The answer is, of course not. Yeah. Yeah. We are if— we place our hope in the political system, right? However, we're not advocating for abandoning the political system. We just need the political system to operate in its right sphere. So let's dig in. Let's go full yeah, so let me, into this thought so that you have. So let's talk about election security for a minute. What What is it, Gary? Some quiz questions. Oh, boy. Again, these I'm are ready. quiz questions without specific data. They're more philosophical questions or experience, questions of experience. When... When we talk about election security, what types of answers do we get from those who do not believe there is any election fraud going on? Oh, well, here in Tennessee, I mean, you know, Heritage Foundation ranks us number one, you know, in election integrity. I mean, we're, we're just, we're number one. And, uh, you know, and of course here in Tennessee, I mean, there's just good people, Kevin. And, you know, we, we don't have anything here to worry about. Okay. We, we need to trust those in leadership. They Look, Kevin, what you don't understand is these people running our elections have our best in mind. Their okay. intentions are above reproach. So Nothing bad is going to happen. So here. that's definitely part of it, we, especially at the end, what you said. All of that is true, of course, but let's focus for a minute on that. So one of the assumptions— that a person who claims that there's no election fraud is that the people running the elections have good intentions, right? Okay, so that's what's another assumption? Let's let's go out of Tennessee just to the general population. Maybe if you read some of the social media, just generally and specifically from the media outlets, the big ones, with regard to Carrie Lake, <clears throat> because she made election integrity such a, a pivotal part of her platform. And so now they're just mocking her saying, here's an, 
Well, I gave the answer, right? Here's an election denier. Mm-hmm. What's another premise, in addition to suggesting that these people have good intentions, what else do they say for why we shouldn't worry about election fraud or why this isn't really happening? I don't know. They, they just, uh, I'm not sure. I, I, my guess would be, I think a lot of people have an, um, a really weird assumption that these machines are completely secure. And what's that based on? So personally, I don't know. Personally, I would say that, you know, our culture is just so accustomed to utilizing machines and algorithms in every part of our lives. You know, we, we, dude, I, I bank on my phone, mm-hmm. you know? So I think there's, I think <clears throat> in 2022, there's just sort of a natural assumption that all of these technologies are to our benefit and, and they make life, you know, very easy, very efficient, in some cases, very affordable, very accessible. And um, I, I think people in general have just, especially the last two generations or so, have just come to trust technology because it's it's ingrained in every part of how we live every day. <clears throat> so, again, it seems as though there's an assumption or a premise for making the argument that there's no election fraud in that the people who create the equipment, the people who operate the equipment, execute the elections, the people who oversee them all have good intentions, right? And they also don't make mistakes, right? And then they demand Because if you believe because if you believe that there is election fraud, you would also have to believe that these people who pull the strings actually have access to shut off the flow to all of your money mm-hmm. and every other factor of your life. And we don't want to believe that <clears throat> for sure. So you know. let me talk about foreign policy in this regard for a second. So traditionally, American foreign policy, and I say traditionally because ever since the Obama administration <clears throat> and how the Obama loyalists control the institutionalized government, we used to have an approach to foreign policy risks based on two prongs. One is intent and the other is capability, right? So if, for example, someone has the intention to do us harm but does not possess the capability, they're not a threat, right? So if they, if they want to destroy us and they call out all sorts of incendiary remarks against us but they can't launch a rocket, right, we don't have to worry about them. doesn't mean they couldn't get to the point where they launch a rocket. This is what's happened to China over the years. Then you have the opposite problem, which or the opposite non-threat, which is, well, they've got the capability. They can launch rockets. They've got nuclear power, but they have no desire to destroy Western civilization or freedom. These would what we would traditionally call allies, people who shared our worldview, right? But the threats are coming from those areas where people have both the intent and the capability, Right? That's where we focus our attention on the most important and significant threats. Now, let's think of this in the, in the case of election. First of all, I think it's a, a grave error and, and kind of silly to assume that people have good intentions, right? Now, as Christians, we know this, right? The Bible tells us very clearly that man is all, every thought of man is always evil all the time, right? That's what Genesis says. Romans tells us that um, no one is good, right? Everyone is the center. All have fallen astray. Do we need to revisit Federalist 6, <clears throat> Alexander Hamilton? 
Men About are not angels. If men were angels, that one. Uh, men are ambitious. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Was... and rapacious. Yes, and they're, if men were angels was a Madison quote, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, think about our society for a second. To suggest that in the realm of elections, people are suddenly innocent, even for someone who's not a Christian, you just have to look around your experience and say, do I really think that people are honest? Do I really think that people have good intentions? Why do we have speed limits then? Mm. Speed limits presume that people are going to speed and live dangerously, right? right? Why do we have laws against murder? Because some people are going to kill other people. Why do we have laws against theft? Because we know culturally that people steal, right? Mm -hmm. The entire fabric of our culture is rooted in a knowledge of the sinful condition of man. That's right. And yet when it comes to election security— We seem to throw all of those intentions out the door and say, nope, man has good intentions. Now, I would argue that we didn't used to believe that. This is what's changed. Man has never had good intentions. The difference is in the old days, although they had bad intent, they didn't have the capability. That's right. We didn't have electronics. We didn't have this thing called the internet, right? So... For all the bad actors in the world, it was impossible on a national scale to be able to pull off the kind of fraud that you can pull off today through the push of a button. Now, today, you enter technology. There's nothing that's changed about the intentions, and we clearly now have the ability yeah. to commit fraud. So someone who says there's no, no election security problem has to believe that suddenly people have changed their nature at the same time as technology has changed, I would suggest that people start thinking about this differently. When someone says to you there is no election of fraud, they're assuming, first of all, that people are acting in good faith and that people have a means. Why, why should we assume that people want to be good, right? Power corrupts, what Lord Acton say, right? Power yep. corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Biblical principle. Why is it that we assume people start at a good place? So do we not, with that, what you just said, would it not be prudent to assume that if the people in power have the ability to keep that power, that they would not use that ability? I think it's absurd of to, course yeah, to, to believe otherwise. The, the way to get our heads around this and to understand what's going on is that our premise should be people are bad— And they do have the capability to do harm. Therefore, we must assume as a starting point that there is fraud until you can prove that there is not, right? This this nonsense of saying, well, there can't be fraud and you have to prove beyond, not even beyond a reasonable doubt. This is the other thing that's important. Let Let me step back for a minute. The idea that we have to prove every specific instance of fraud and that we can't use circumstantial evidence of fraud, right, voter suppression, is absurd. Gary, do you know in the court of laws across the country how many cases are decided on circumstantial evidence? No. Roughly 95%. Really? So this idea that there has to be a smoking gun— no, our entire criminal well, justice system— Well, because even law acknowledges in different—for different offenses, there are different levels of, you know, preponderance of evidence, clear and convincing evidence. Like, there are different 
levels that the court requires, you know, to prove guilt. Yeah, because 95% of the time there is no smoking gun. Right. But that doesn't mean that what happened didn't happen just right. because we can't prove the smoking gun. We should all acknowledge that that at, at a base level, people are prone to cheat. Yeah. And to deny that, I would even say to the left who argues there is no election fraud— which, again, has to assume that people are naturally good and wouldn't do anything bad with that power, they contradict themselves completely with how they treat Donald Trump. What do they say about Donald Trump? He's bad. He ought to be arrested. He's violated the law. I'm like, on what basis do you have a moral foundation to say that Donald Trump is doing something wrong? You reject God as your authority. How can you make moral claims? And yet here they are in the election sphere saying these people are good. They are innocent. They couldn't possibly have done anything wrong. No, but we yet, must yet we've got fraud. yet we've got you know Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi and her husband, you know, beating <laughs> up a, do, a a gay dude in his underwear, you know, a prostitute, and you know, no, no Who big we deal. knew before, yeah, yeah, no, no big deal. I mean, it's just normal <clears> stuff. So I I would challenge the premise of anyone who would claim that election fraud does not exist. I would say it's actually the opposite. You must start from the premise that men are corrupt, and that men will take advantage of that power given them. The, the very fact that they try to deny it is evidence that they know there is, there's a moral calculus here, and trying to deny it also presumes a moral, a moral foundation for making that argument. That's such an important point that I also want to expand on it just a little bit. One of the things that I get frustrated the most at in terms of elections and I saw that not only in in my election here in Williamson County, but I, I've, I've just seen it pervasive across the country. People will say, well, I'm not voting anymore until we focus on, on fixing 2020. The election was stolen, and so I'm not voting anymore. Well, number one, you're an idiot. And <laughs> number two, you're an idiot because you're assuming that no one's ever cheated before. Mm-hmm. You, you think that... The election in 2020 was stolen, which it was, and that this has never happened before. I did a I did a presentation at the Tennessee Freedom Summit with my buddy Brandon Lewis last year in Cleveland, Tennessee, and I did a lot of research on this. Do you know? And, if, and I know you do. Elections have always been stolen. There was it, it was yep. highly suspected. In fact, it was widely known. That the election, the presidential election of 1844 was stolen. That was the year that James Polk, <clears throat> our, our a Tennessean, yep, Tennessean, Greenville, Tennessee. In fact, little known fact, there is only one capital, state capital in the entire United States that has a dead former president buried on its <laughs> grounds. And it's here in Tennessee. And it's James Polk. All right, and a little factoid that's, there. That's a good little factoid. <laughs> and so 1844, this is the year James Polk gets elected. He gets elected as president while losing his home state of Tennessee, mm-hmm. okay? And it was suspected that the, the fraud happened in, uh, shockingly, the state of New York. and Even back then. <laughs> even back then. And because of the high suspicion that the election was stolen, Congress opened up a special committee to um, – the, literally the name of the committee was to – investigative committee to to look at 
New York election fraud in the presidential election of 1844. And so one more point. So wall builders, Dave Barton, actually has this on display in one of their facilities. So in the 1850s, uh, as an effort to combat election fraud, they developed – because they actually <clears throat> used to have ballot boxes. Mm-hmm. Well, in the 1850s, they developed a glass globe that you now dropped your ballots into because the thought was, well, at least if you could see through the ballot box, mm-hmm. maybe there would be less cheating, right? The point in all of this is for pe- exactly to to confirm what you're seeing. Elections have been stolen throughout the history of the United States, and cheating has always occurred all the way back to 1844 and beyond. And why? Because people cheat. It's what they do. And so let's talk about evidence for a minute, because if we're talking about circumstantial evidence, obviously we now have visual evidence of actual cheating. But in addition, but what is the response when that happens? The left always says, well, there was cheating. We admit it. But there wasn't enough to make a difference in the election. Right, right, right. So this is what we're left with? It's like saying, yes, I did kill the guy, but he wasn't important enough to affect society. So, you know, it wasn't that. Yeah, it was just this guy. Or I did steal something here, but it really didn't hurt the store. You know, Mm -hmm. just took some of the little inventory off the shelf. That's one problem. Here's another example of the evidence. Just as with the CDC that wanted to release its information about deaths from COVID and um, deaths from clot shot. Well, we release this data over 75 years, right? Absurd. We have a similar situation with those who run and own the software of the voting, the voting mm-hmm. software. If this is not an issue, why wouldn't they just open up all their books and records and right, make their software available? There's always a pretext. Oh, it's confidential proprietary information. Right. Really? No reasonable person believes that that's really what's going on. So make it back to this final point on this, then we can get off this subject. And that is, if the issues are capacity and intention or capability and intention, we have before us a choice. Either we have to change hearts and minds, right? So that even if we have the capacity, people will never cheat, right? Or there'll be more people who won't cheat who'll be able to actually execute on that. Or we have to destroy the capability, right? So I'm always an advocate that you have to change hearts and minds. And we should never stop changing hearts and minds because if you have people who understand their own sinful nature and the sinful nature, our entire government structure was established on the assumption that man yeah. checks is and sinful, balances. Right? That's, that's sep- what it's all separation about. Separation of powers. Going back to Hamilton's point. point, right? But in the meantime, while we are trying to change hearts and minds, not that we can change them, while we are preaching the gospel, while we are telling the truth, and God is changing hearts of stone to hearts of flesh, the only way that we're going to secure elections is by destroying the capability to cheat. And as evidence that it is a issue of sin, what do people say when you say we need to destroy the capability? In other words, return to and in an improved form, hand-marked paper ballots, right? Secure hand-marked paper ballots. The response is always, no, we don't want to give up these machines, right? That alone proves that the heart of man is inclined to sin, to power, to avarice, to greed, right? All of that, because the only reason 
We have more than an abundance of evidence that handmarked paper ballots work. The only reason you would want to keep electronic machines that are connected to the internet that at the very best make mistakes, right? Yeah. Is because there's something motivating that choice. It's the option and the ability mm -hmm. that it gives you to retain control. Yep. There's no other reason. I really hope that, um, but they, you know, I'm, I'm saying I'm sitting here thinking about what I want to say because it's like, gosh, I wish people would wake up and see the light. But, but we know as believers, uh, they won't. <laughs> yeah, unless God <laughs> changes right. their hearts, right? That's right. Unless God changes their hearts of stone to hearts of flesh, they cannot believe and they won't believe. But our responsibility is still the same in God's mysterious, inexplicable sovereignty. He makes us part of that process, yep. right? Our job is to proclaim the gospel, to tell the people what is true. Our job is to prove the prove the truth, not to persuade. Persuading is only something that Holy Spirit does. And you know, to to close out this particular segment, I mean, we have we have got to focus our sights on if we're really serious about the Constitution and defending liberty and passing on our way of life to our children, we have got to get deadly serious about focusing on our states and our mm -hmm. state elections and our state legislate. Putting, putting con I'm much more in 2024 concerned about putting more conservative men and women in our Tennessee General Assembly than I, than I am in the White House. Yes, and that's it, just me. And, and it's important because look what's happened in Florida. It is a model of what a state can do not only to secure its own liberties, but to provide inspiration to other people, right? If we had not had someone like Ron DeSantis arguing and making the moral argument in the midst of everything that was coming out of Washington, I think a lot of people would have lost all political hope. Yep. I, man, that's a great point. I'm glad you ended it with that because— I think what happened in Florida, flipping Miami-Dade County, all the things that happened there, you know, DeSantis winning with 60% of the vote. I think Florida certainly gives everyone hope that elections can work, that people do appreciate and families appreciate conservative values mm -hmm. and want a conservative state. So certainly it's a, it's a bright light in the I want to say desert, but I want to say something worse because it's worse than that. As we, I'll give a little bit of a Tennessee focus here yep. before we close. I'm just going to read some. It's only about about 600 words, so it won't take long. But I'm gonna, this is an op-ed that I wrote that I was asked to write by the Tennessee Conservative that will uh, be posted on their website. But uh, I want to read it here for our audience because um, I found it interesting. Because actually doing this research, I learned something that I had not realized had taken place. Last year, whenever we passed the COVID protection bill, I didn't realize how much the state had also protected themselves. And so there's a bill that we just filed. I'll just read it. The okay. title of the op-ed says, State legislators seem poised to extend protections from COVID mandates, but there is a catch. And beginning of the article. Bills have begun to be filed for the upcoming legislative session here in Tennessee due to commence on January 11th, 2023 which will begin our 113th General Assembly. One of the first, Senate Bill 2, Senator Jack Johnson, and House Bill 2, Representative Jason Zachary, will remove the termination date on protections from COVID mandates, currently set to expire on July 1st, 2023. Many Tennesseans may not realize that current laws restricting employers from mandating the shot as a condition of employment and restricting schools from acquiring masks are due to sunset. 
your legislature passed laws to secure your liberties with an expiration date. Go figure. The passage of SB2 and HB2 would make these protections permanent, and that is a good thing. However, there is a catch. With the passage of Title 14 in the special session of October 2021, the legislature did more than protect employees. They also protected themselves. Limitations were placed on liability for the state, state employees, and agents of the state related to COVID-19, meaning individuals suffering damages, injury, or death related to COVID-19 would have to prove willful, malicious criminal action or gross negligence on the part of the state by clear and convincing evidence to have a claim against the state of Tennessee. Otherwise, the state and its agents are covered from any wrongdoing by its sovereign immunity. No harm, no foul. Or rather, harm done, still no foul. Mm -hmm. These limitations on liability were set to expire on July 1st, 2023. Passage of these bills, House Bill 2 and Senate Bill 2, will remove this termination date and continue to impose these restrictions on liability. Why is that at all interesting? You've seen the videos, right? Now in more frequent occurrence, otherwise healthy individuals, many who are top-tier athletes are just dropping dead. It is happening so often now that we've named this new phenomenon SADS, Sudden Adult Death Syndrome. As of November 4th, 2022, VAERS, hosted by the CDC, now reports 31,961 deaths and 1,458,322 adverse events directly related to COVID vaccines, mRNA gene therapy mm-hmm. injections. And yet, we persist. It is worth noting that in 2009, a vaccine developed to combat the H1N1 virus, swine flu, was taken off the market due to only 35 adverse events, not deaths, being reported. How is that for a comparison? I find it incredibly interesting that in light of where we now find ourselves, with the deaths and adverse events mounting from this shot, that the state legislature would run a bill permanently extending its own protections from liability for any actions it may have taken related to COVID-19. But honestly, you can't blame them. Senator Jack Johnson, who is a sponsor for SB2, extending these liability protections, also signed an official statement from the Tennessee State Senate on July 27, mm-hmm. 2021, publicly shaming Tennesseans into being vaccinated for COVID-19. Here are a few quotes from that letter. Quote, a strong majority of these cases are among those who are not vaccinated. Quote, as people across our state are exposed to the spread of this deadly virus, we strongly urge Tennesseans who do not have a religious ex- objection or a legitimate medical issue to get vaccinated. Quote, the vaccines have been found to be safe and effective against COVID-19. Quote, Please compare the very rare instances of side effects with the more than 600,000 deaths in the U.S. which have occurred due to COVID-19. The facts are clear. The benefits of the vaccines far outweigh the risks. Quote, the COVID-19 vaccines save lives. Again, we strongly urge all Tennesseans to study the facts, talk to your doctor, and get vaccinated. Close quote. Considering the statements made in this letter and the facts we now know about Fauci and these shots, if I were Jack, I would want my sovereign immunity, too. Mm, mm, mm. 
Get me some cornbread with corn <laughs> to accompany that. Amen. No, I, I'll only add this because we're short for time, and that was a great way to end. Poignant, and thank you, Gary, for that. Plus, it kind of wraps a couple of the last episodes together, right? Ties mm-hmm. them all together. I, <laughs> and they're making us, they're tying these together because they know how much we want the other ones to expire. You can right? only get one like, with the other. You can only have this if we get this too. <laughs> That's right. That's, but I would urge them, those who want that sovereign immunity, which I understand because when you've pushed something that you know is harming people, you want protection from lawsuits. And I don't say this threateningly. I just tell you what the scriptures say. The scriptures say that God sees all. Everything will be uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So while you may be protected from us filing lawsuits against you, that will be of no benefit and it will yield you nothing before the Lord of Lords. Mm. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit TennesseeStands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. As Thomas Paine reminded us, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it. Mm